Here is another powerful message from New Vision Baptist Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. To hear the rest of this series and others, join us at newvisionlife.com. Brad said today's a little bit different. We looked at the first week of this series of the Thai Cave Rescue, and that was an exhilarating story. Uh, Last week, we looked at the royal wedding, and there's a sense of excitement about that. But in June, when Anthony Bourdain and then Kate Spade, just in a matter of days, both took their their lives, uh, it rattled so many people, left us with just a a lot of questions. And so we're going to take a look uh, at that today. And, and some of you, as we, we think about depression, some of you might be saying, well, I, I don't know that uh, I want you talking about that. I'd rather hear from a professional on that. I, I get that. I, I get some criticism on that. I understand. Let, let, me be, let me be very clear about what we're going to, to talk about today. Um, I believe that when it comes to depression, there is a continuum, meaning... It may start out with discouragement, and some of you may be here today. I know many people that are just discouraged right now. You wouldn't say that you're in a time of depression. You're just discouraged. You're just blue and kind of gloomy. That's what I was trying to say. You know, and for some of us, it's just this time of year, right? It's cold, it's, it's cloudy, and so you can't seem to put your finger on it. I, I got a phone call on Monday from a great friend who's in ministry uh, at another church. He's so successful, such a great guy. He's helped me so much in my life. And he said, man, I, I just need, to, I, I need you to pray for him. He said, I can't put my finger on it. I, I'm, just, I'm just down. Things are going well around me and my family and job, but I, I just, I'm, just, I'm just down. And I think many people struggle with that. You know, some may move into a time of despair, so from discouragement, maybe more despairing thoughts. Others, it even moves to more anxiousness in in your life, and then even for some, to to full-blown depression. Now, here's what's really hard about that. There are many things in our life that contribute to that. See, there are spiritual factors that contribute to that. There are physical factors, there are psychological factors, social factors, and I understand all of that. I'm going to talk about the spiritual factors today, okay? That's what I feel like I'm equipped to do, but I understand that there are other factors to this, okay? But I would also ask you to think about this. We're we're psychosomatic human beings, meaning all these other parts of our life, they they can really sort of bleed over Uh, in in a, a simplistic way. I'll just explain it this way. Uh, Amy and I had our, our grandson. We were doing some Christmas shopping over the weekend. And, and so we were trying to hit some stores in between naps. You, you do that and in between meals. And so uh, she said, we need, to, we need to get him back home so he can and get down for a nap. And I said, well, let's just go to Academy because I wanted to go to Academy, get something for me. And, uh, and she said, I don't know. I don't think it's a good idea. No, it'll be fine. It wasn't fine. We had a complete meltdown. He's laid out in the floor of the Academy Sporting Goods store, just going, just nuts. He's yelling. I'm carrying him out like this. And people are like, is he he okay? He's tired. And he was. Like when I'm tired and I'm hungry, I know I should be patient, but I'm not as patient, right? In a very simplistic way. And so I'm just trying to to show you that all these different areas of our life, they can sort of bleed bleed over. But we're going to focus primarily on the spiritual today. And I'm going to share some things from my own life because I have gone through a, a period of depression in my own life. And these are some things from the Word that have, that have really helped me. So if you have your Bible, let's look at Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. And this is a, a really familiar text. And we're going to look at it maybe a little bit differently today than perhaps you've looked at it before. 
And we're going to compare and contrast uh, some, some, some different personalities uh, in this story. And then I want to share five things with you that I promise you will not hurt you. I'm not asking you if you're here today and you're, you're on uh, medication. I'm not saying stop taking your medication. I'm not saying that. Did you hear me? I'm just saying the things that we're going to look at, they're not going to hurt you. And my sense is that God could use them to really bring about a breakthrough in your life, okay? So here we go, Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king. We're introduced to our first character that I want us to focus on just a little bit. Herod plays a central role in the birth narrative of Jesus Christ. Who was he? Uh, he was the king of Judea, the southern part in, uh, from Jerusalem, uh, south in the nation of Israel. Uh, he was a, a very complex man. And at, at one level, he was an amazing builder, amazing architect. The, the temple that Jesus would have worshipped at, would have gone to as a child, was a temple that Herod built. Uh, Herod built multiple palaces. I've been to three, the ruins of three of his palaces. The one palace, he, he had a place in the city in Jerusalem. He had a place by the sea, Caesarea Maritima, it was built out over the Mediterranean Ocean. Unbelievable. Um, he had a place at Masada overlooking uh, the Dead Sea and the desert. So I, I'm telling you, beautiful places. He built hippodromes. He built theaters. He built bathhouses. He was an amazing builder, but he was also a man who was tormented, who was given to depression, that on one occasion tried to take his life, and that was stopped. Uh, some say that he ultimately did take his life because of the struggles that he had. So that's Herod. Now, we meet the other characters that we're going to take a look at. So Jesus is born during the time of King Herod. Behold, wise men from the east came from Jerusalem. So we'll see some things in this large group of magi, astronomers who are coming from the Persian Empire because they had seen something happen in the heavens that matched up with what they had seen from the Old Testament mainly, or, or I think probably because during the time of Jewish captivity in Babylon, during the time of Daniel, the scriptures were taken there. That, that's just, just free. Here we go. Verse 2. And here's what they're saying. They're saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For he saw, we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Now, this, this tells us a couple of things. Herod was troubled because he was an exceedingly insecure person. Uh, Herod lived in an, in an unbelievable amount of isolation. Uh, he killed nine of his family members during the course of his life because he thought they, they were threats to his kingdom. That's messed up, isn't it? Uh, Herod was so afraid upon his death that there wouldn't be anybody to mourn his death, he made a law uh, that there would be a large number of Jewish priests that would be executed as soon as, that, as soon as word got out that he had died so that he could ensure that there would be mourning in Jerusalem. It was Herod who wanted to, to, to murder and did all these uh, young boys under age of two in and around Bethlehem. And so he's a troubled person, and when, when we're troubled, we tend to affect everybody around us. Verse 4, Herod assembles all the chief priests and scribes of the people. He inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. Uh, they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it was written by the prophet. I want to stop, and I want to make a point here. Now watch this. How did the wise men find their way to the manger? They followed the what? It's not exactly true. It's not completely true. 
if you go back and you really look at the scripture closely, they followed the star and it led them to Jerusalem. And then they asked Herod, where is the one that's to be born king of the Jews? And then Herod didn't know. And he asked the scribes, right? And the scribes, the people, it was their job to know the law. And they go back and they unroll the scrolls and find Micah chapter 5 verse 2. So it was really the word that led him to the manger. Does that make sense? That was just free. We'll, we'll come back to that in just a few moments. Now look at verse, verse 7. Uh, then, then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. He didn't want to worship him. We know what he wanted to do. He wanted to execute him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star they had seen, when it rose, went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. So now they see the star again. As they were making their way to Bethlehem, the star reappears. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Matthew uses four words to, to uh, communicate joy. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. That's a mouthful, isn't it? What does that say about these guys? Pretty excited, pretty happy, that's right, yeah. If someone is, a you know what, rejoicing exceedingly with great joy, you want to be around that person. For a while, they'll wear on you, right? But very different, very different from, from Herod. I love that. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and they worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold and uh, uh, frankincense and myrrh. They, their, their job was to coronate kings, and they knew this was a king, so they were bringing gifts fit for a king. Verse 12, if you write in your Bible, which I do, I would write one word here, and I'm going to give you a quick challenge, and then I'm going to say five things that I think could really help you. I would write the word repentance here, because look at what happens in verse 12. The wise men are warned in a dream. God speaks to them there in Bethlehem not to return to Herod, but they departed to their own country by another way, all right? So, so repentance is a change of mind and heart and a direction in our life to leave another way. I'm going to ask you today to contemplate this. Would you consider if God speaks to you today through the study of his word, those of you who are discouraged, those of you who have some anxiety in your life, those of you who may be given to depression, would you contemplate leaving another way? In other words, making a change in the normal routine of your life that God might use to bring some freedom in your life. Would you contemplate that? That would be my prayer, that we would leave another way. So let's look at these five things today that I would call hope, uh, really for hopelessness. And we see them uh, in this story, and I want to bring them out just for a few minutes. So if you have your notes, you can go ahead and take them out. And th this, would be, this would be my desire today. I, I, for some of you who are here today that are just given to a period of discouragement right now in your life, that perhaps this week you would go back and re-look at these notes and, and make some other notes and look at these scriptures again because you're certainly not going to remember uh, everything that I, I say today. As I stand before you today and preach, I have multiple people on my mind right now. I could list their names very, very quickly, people that I care about deeply that are so discouraged uh, right now. I have one friend that I, I love very much and he's not even returning text right now and, and, and the winter time is so hard for him and he's prone to so much discouragement and depression during this time and I, I hope and pray 
for a release in his life. And I pray that for you because I know today in this room there are many people here that are just discouraged. And I think God has something for you today. All right? Here's the first thing. We have to avoid isolation. When you take a look at this story, avoiding isolation, Herod was alone. When you kill nine of your family members, that kind of isolates you. And the wise men were together. weren't just three wise men. Uh, There were three gifts. It was a large entourage that they traveled together. Anthony Bourdain, in June, hung himself in the bathroom of his hotel alone in Kyersburg, France. Isolation, listen, isolation screams this. You are the only person going through this. Community says you're not alone. Isolation says you're the only person that is given to depression, discouragement. Isolation says as a believer, you ought not feel this way. If everything was really right in your life spiritually, you wouldn't feel this way. Now, let me tell you, there's a ton of things we could say about this. Sometimes we feel a certain way because God wants to get our attention and calls us to repentance. Sometimes we feel a certain way. Uh, Charles Spurgeon said this, because we want to be able, God wants us to be able to have compassion for other people, all right? So let me, let me just tell you this. Here's what I know. So many writers of Scripture struggled with discouragement. Job. David, Elijah, Jeremiah, Solomon, the whole book of Lamentations is given to depression in many ways. Martin Luther, who sparked the Protestant Reformation, was given to depression in his life. Charles Spurgeon, who I think may be one of the greatest, if not the greatest preacher in the history of the Christian church, was given to bouts of depression in his life. Here's what I want to hear. Here's what I want you to hear today. If you're struggling with discouragement, despair, or depression, you are not alone. And we say here at New Vision, this is a place where it's okay not to be okay. But we also say it's, it's not okay to stay there. Now, we're talking about avoiding isolation if you're going to break out of that because the enemy wants you to stay isolated. And here's the thing. Please listen. We, we just feel like, you know what, I hear this all the time with, with people. They say, I just don't feel like being around anybody right now. I don't feel like being around anybody. Uh, Monday night, I wish you could have been there. Uh, we, had a, we have a banquet every year at Christmas for our, our widows it's a, and widowers. It's, it's a neat time. Uh, Amy and I look forward to it every year. And, and Philip got up and spoke, and he did such a great job, Pastor Philip. And, and I wish you could have heard what he said. He said, you know what? I want to brag on you, everybody that, that was there. He said, because it took courage for you to be here. I know you didn't want to come tonight. And you could just see all of them just like, yes, you're right. And he says, the people that I know that are stuck, and he, he said, are people that just have stayed in isolation and haven't pushed through that and had the courage to be around other people. But breaking free from isolation is going to be something that is contrary to your feelings. Like we talk about getting in a group where you don't feel like you want to be in a group. But let let me me say something here on that. I never, ever feel like getting up and going to the gym. I never do. Right? I never wake up and think, man, I cannot wait to get on the bike and the row machine today. I think that's, that's, that's going to be good. No. In fact, yesterday... It got to be about 3 o'clock, and I had something to do that afternoon. And I said, I, I hadn't, I'm, I'm trying to exercise 30 minutes a day. And I, 
I never feel like doing it. I, I, so I just went out and, and just did a, I, I do a kind of a jog walk thing now that embarrasses my family, but <laughs> I'm doing something, right? It looks pretty cool. I mean, I mean, it's a lot of hips and that kind of deal, but it burns a lot of calories. And I just didn't feel like doing it. But we, we, don't, we don't feel our way to right actions. We act our way to right feelings. Do you understand that? So you're not going to feel like, you're going to feel like staying isolated. So I'm telling you to do something contrary to your feelings in that. Open yourself up. Here would be a great next step for you. We're going to put something on the screen. For some of you, this is all you need to hear. The isolation that you're in, you need to invite somebody else in if you're ever going to get out of it. Uh, go this. Go to this uh, uh, our website, newvisionlife.com, and just go to our care ministry page and, and just in the privacy of your home. Right now, you don't have to, you don't have to listen to the rest of the, the message. You need somebody to, to come involved, and we'll have some encouragers who will set up a time to meet with you. We have biblical counselors. I can't tell you how many people I know that have opened themselves up to that are really finding some freedom because they are pushing through isolation. This is the year to get in a group. We say all the time that you need to find community around here and get in a group. Why? Because one of those things is you'll avoid isolation. It'll be around other folks. It'll be an encouragement to you, and you, and you need that. Here's a statement that I'm going to make. You may disagree with it, but here's what I believe. It is hard for community and discouragement to occupy the same house. Because I, I really believe this. I believe it's, if we're going to break free, we've got to do some house cleaning. And we've got to try some different things. I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm saying it's hard for true community and discouragement to occupy the same house. Now, let, let's look at the second thing here today. We, we talked about avoiding isolation. Look at, the, look at the second thing that I want to say. We have to reject the world's math. And you might say, well, that is the weirdest thing I've ever heard. Like, what, what do you mean by that? Well, here's the world's math. Here's really what we believe in a very simplistic way. He who dies with the most toys wins. Herod believed that. Herod was a builder. Herod had everything. I mean, you can travel to the Holy Land today. I've been multiple times. You can take a look at the ruins of all the, I mean, this guy had it going on. I mean, he had a palace in the city. He had a palace at the beach. He had a palace at the desert, right? How can you not be happy with that? Right? You think about that. A house in the city, a house at the beach, and the house of the desert, that should be it. But he tries to take his own life. Here's what happens every single time. And, and please, I, I want to be respectful. I'm trying to be so respectful here. But I want to push into this. Here's what I hear every single time. Someone like Anthony Bourdain, and I hate the fact that he took his own life. It saddens me greatly. But here's what I hear People say, how could somebody who had everything do that? Did you hear that? How could somebody who had everything do that? When we say that, it really shows us what we believe. It shows us that we really believe that he who dies with the most toys wins. I want to I I show you what Jesus said. Jesus said just the opposite. He says, what good if it would be if someone gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? Or who, uh, what can anyone give in exchange for his soul? Let's look at some math here, some equations. If you have everything, power, prestige, possessions, if you have everything and you don't have Jesus, I don't believe you have anything. To be honest, I think that's the only explanation for why we see these high-profile suicides. 
if everything meant satisfaction, then this stuff doesn't make sense. Let me give you some more, fa- more, more truth, I believe, some more math. I believe this equation works. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Now, let's be honest. Uh, my, my youngest son was, was uh, here on Thursday night, and, and uh, he, he didn't always grow up in the good old days in the Cooper household. He, um, I, I told something. He said, I didn't know that. Amy and I, when we first got married, we, we, we qualified for government help. Um, we, had, uh, we, we had blocks of cheese that we didn't eat, and we were trying to pawn them off as Christmas gifts one year because <laughs> that was, a, was tough. I, I, have, I have been poor, and I have had more money than I need. I like this side of it better. But I can't tell you that I was really any more happy. I think back over those, those times, those were great times in our, in our life. Now, I don't, don't want to go back there, right? So don't reduce my salary. <laughs> but here's what I've come to believe. I've come to believe this. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. I can say that today. You could strip everything possession-wise away from me that I have and if I get to keep him, I'm winning. I believe it. And I said this Thursday night, and people looked at me like I was so strange. And, and it, 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 I'll try it again. Again, I'm, I'm addressing the question, how could some, the culture says, how could somebody who has everything do that? Who has multiple millions of dollars, who has a a television program, a star of a television program who gets to travel all over the world, who's a, a fashion designer, every third woman in America has one of her handbags. I mean, how, how, how could somebody who has everything do that? Here, here's one of the reasons, I think, uh, why. Not the only reason. One of the reasons. You see, most of us are not like Anthony Bourdain and Kate Spade. Most of us are dreamers. Like, I, I, I can't go everywhere that I would like to go, and chances are you're kind of like me, right? There's some limiting factors. But a dreamer still thinks the exotic would satisfy, and so we hold on to that. But there are a select few among us that if they dream it, they can do it but they do it and they arrive there and three days later their self shows up and they have climbed this ladder to the top rung, go anywhere, do anything, experience anything, only to realize it was leaning on the wrong structure and they are left hopeless. This is why Jesus came. God with us, Emmanuel, my greatest need is in here. And this is what Jesus came to do. Discouragement and depression can be a result of misplaced hope. That's why in marriage many times, six months in, folks are in our office saying, mistake. Because really what they thought is, when I found her or when I found him, I was going to be satisfied. 
and they realize they're not. It's misplaced hope. And so we're given to discouragement and despair. Hope, here's the point, here's the point, here's the point. Hope is never in things, but it's always been in a person. That's the story of Christmas. But the sooner... Here's what I'm saying. Most of us don't live like that. Most of you would hear me say that, but we don't live like that because we would pursue with everything that we have things because they believe, we believe they satisfy. Listen to what Paul David Tripp says about Christmas. The Christmas story clearly shows that the hope of the universe is a person. Hope was what the angels sang about. Hope lay in a manger. Hope caused Mary to wonder in her heart. It was hope the shepherds came to worship. Hope was presented with gifts from the Magi who traveled so far. The Advent story is a hope story because it chronicles the coming to earth of the one who is hope, and his name is Jesus. I would say to you today, it's hard for hope and discouragement to occupy the same house. I believe that. So what does that mean? Going back another way, what does repentance mean for you today? It may mean, you know what? There's some priorities in my life that need to change because I am prioritizing based on the world's math. It's not working. Let's look at the third thing today. I think we need to incorporate worship into our, our morning routine and you say, well, well, what do you mean by that? Well, this is what you see in this story. In Matthew chapter 2, verse 9 through 11, you see the wise men, they are worshiping multiple times. And I think that needs to apply to our life if we're going to be free from discouragement. This is a real practical way. Now, hang with me for just a moment. This is super practical, and I'm going to make a very simple uh, assignment to you in just a few moments that I promise you will not hurt you, and it can pay dividends. All right? Look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. We'll put it up on the screen. Paul commands us to do this. He says, rejoice in the Lord always, not most days, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, let me say it to you, rejoice. Paul is saying, contrary to how you're feeling, here's a part of your life to rejoice in the Lord. That means to be thankful for who God is and what he's done in your life on a daily basis. Let, let me show you another passage of Scripture I think that can be super, super helpful uh, for you. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 21. Look at this. I, I don't want to bore you. But this is good, and you've got to think. Lamentations 3, verse 21. But this I call to mind. Think about that. But this I call to mind. But here, here's the point. Thanksgiving and praise is not naturally there. We wake up in the morning discouraged, disillusionment, disillusioned and depressed, and we have to call to mind the goodness of God. This is something that you have to do. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. You see that great promise? But this I call to mind, and therefore I have what? Hope. All right, so this is very practical. Well, look at verse 23, 22. Now, here, here, here's what the writer is going to do. He's going to call to mind some truths about God. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Is that good news? Call that to mind. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. He's practicing what he's preaching. Do you see that? This I call to mind, and they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Here's what you and I have to do on a daily basis. We have to call to mind the goodness of God. 
I believe this about you today. I know there may be some difficult things going on in your life, but if you're here today, there are some practical things that you can be thankful for about the goodness of God. Would you believe that? Do you agree with that? Are you born again here today? Have you passed over from death to life? Anybody forgiven of their sin? That's a good thing. And I have to call to mind the goodness of God because it's not naturally there. Does that make sense? It's not naturally there. So I have to to do that. I have to put it in there. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this. It's It's a very great statement. He said, there is a sense in which the primary task of the scriptures is to teach us how to talk to ourselves. Who do you listen to more than anybody else? You. You're the primary communicator in your life, right? I mean, the thoughts, those of you who are still awake, the thoughts that you have throughout your, throughout your day, you're in constant dialogue with yourself. And the primary task of Scripture is to know the truth of Scripture and to begin to communicate with yourself, to speak the Word of God, call to mind the truths of God to yourself. I told you Monday night, Amy and I were at the uh, widow's uh, banquet after it was over, one of our friends, we, we stayed around to visit with her for a moment. She was in the first service. Her husband died several years ago in a tragic, uh, a tragic motorcycle accident. Some of our guys were there. Uh, terrible. We went up to her and said, hey, how, how you doing? And she shocked me. She said, unbelievable. She says, the weirdest thing. She said, I just, I can't even be sad. I I was thrown off. And I said, well, tell me about that. And she says, I've been trying something every day. It's it's, it's very simple, but it's, it's making the most amazing difference in my life. She says, every morning before my feet hit the carpet, I thank God for a couple things in my life. And she says, it's amazing how my mind goes to who he is, his goodness and his faithfulness. And she's, she said, I, I thank God for how many years uh, I had with my husband. I've started, instead of, instead of being angry for him being gone, I'm, I'm thankful for what we had. And she said, I just start going down through the list and it is just guarding my mind. Let me give you an assignment. Tomorrow morning, would you try this for seven days? It won't hurt you, right? This will not hurt you. Before you leave your home tomorrow morning, would you just thank God for three things in your life that he is doing or has done? Is that a hard ask? And you might find something radically different would take place in your life. Let me me add one more thing to that, right, on this area of worship. Because the wise men were worshipers. That was something that that was different from, from Herod. Herod wasn't willing to worship the Christ because the Christ was a threat to him. You know, here's the thing. Change your drive time. How many of you spend at least 30 minutes in the car on the way to the office in the morning? How many spend 30 minutes at least, right? Some of you more, some of you less. Wonder if, wonder if you changed your drive time to a worship service. You invested in some great music, some great Christian music, and you spent that 30 minutes singing praises to God. People at the red light will look at you strange. I'm cool with that. I've got a member, the, the gym I work out is, it's up here, it's closed, we don't have any more members, it's an electrical room, and uh, I, I don't, I don't want to, I'm not, I don't, I don't want to work out around anybody, it's kind of me, but part of it is because 30 minutes I'm listening to music that I love, 
And I, I love to praise the Lord. I mean, I'm on, I'm on the exercise bike with my hands up and, you know. And it is amazing how 30 minutes of just singing praises to God can be so transformational in your life. Five minutes of doing that. Psalms 105 verse 2, sing to him, sing praise to him. Tell if it's wonderful acts. Why did God command us to do that? Because it changes us. It, let, let me say this. We'll move on. I think it's hard for worship and discouragement to occupy the same house. I think it's hard for worship and discouragement to occupy the same house. So many people I know are discouraged. Well, here's a chance to change up your routine. Let's look at the the third thing, our fourth thing here today. We're moving through this very quickly because I've got about three minutes. You see this in the story of the wise men. They were kingmakers. That was their job, and they traveled 800 miles to do their work. Here's one of the things that needs to happen in our life. We need to commit to a strategic role of service. If you've been around here, you can complete this sentence. If you've been around New Vision very long, you complete this sentence. We don't want anything from you. We want something for you. You were created to serve. Again, Monday night, Amy and I roll in. Uh, there are folks over here wrapping presents. By the way, this place was amazing here yesterday. How, how many of you served with Operation Bless a Child? There was a bunch of who was here. It was a crazy day. It was an amazing day to see what God did. So we're, it looked like Santa's workshop in the children's area. So we make it over on Monday night to uh, the, the widow banquet. And we see a friend. And I have this moment like, oh, I, I didn't think she was a widow. You ever start, and you start questioning yourself like, did I just forget? I mean, that's a terrible thing to forget. And so I went up to her and I said, hey, girl, what are you, what are you doing here? And then, and then it just it jogged my memory. Her, her husband left her and, and she said, I could stay at home and kind of wallow in self-pity or I could be here tonight to serve other hurting people. And I just, I just chose to do that. I hope it's all right. I said, yeah, it's good. After it was over, we were leaving. And here's what she said. This sounds like preacher speak, right? I know it does. That's exactly what she said. I said, so great to see you tonight. She said, listen, I got so much more out of this than anybody else here got out of this. You were created to serve. Jesus said this, the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And we are created to do that. You will find so much significance in your life when you commit to a role of consistent service in the kingdom. It makes a radical difference in your life. It takes so much attention off yourself and places it on him. It's life-changing. President George Herbert Walker Bush went to be with the Lord a couple weeks ago. His daughter, Dorothy, said this about her dad. A lot of attention in this moment has been given to my father for his role as a naval aviator, his public service, and his devotion to my mother and our wonderful family. But something else, she said, we think about when we reflect on George Bush's life is his deep belief that each of us can make a difference in the lives of other people by being what he called a point of light. She said this, he regarded, I love this, he regarded a life of service to others of being one of life's secrets to happiness in that it was a way of living a life of greater meaning and adventure, not to mention success. Given his belief, listen to what she says, given his belief that any definition of a successful life must include serving others. So here's what I would say to you. 
today as we get ready to close. I think it's hard for service and discouragement to occupy the same house. I think it is. So at some point, we have to start driving these things out. Now, I'm closing. Point number five. Are you guys still with me? Some of you still awake? I'm preaching in the last service. I look over here, and there's a lady, and she has a dog. And it's not a small dog. It's a big dog. It's a real dog. He's sitting there. And I'm so hyper. I looked over, and I was like, that's a dog. And then I just started talking to the dog. I'm like, I can't believe you're here. I hope this is helpful. Can't hurt. The fifth and final thing I want you to see today, it's important for us to recognize that our Jesus, Scripture says, is a wonderful counselor. Isaiah 9, verse 6, listen to this, listen to this. The prophet Isaiah prophesying almost 800 years before the Messiah would be born, for unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called, here it is, Wonderful Counselor. Now, when I hear people talk about wonderful counselors that relates to Jesus, they say, well, he listens and he does. He's compassionate and he is. But the primary meaning of that Hebrew word wonderful, do you know what it is? Miraculous. Isn't that cool? He is a miraculous counselor. He's a miraculous counselor. Anthony Bourdain said this multiple times before taking his life. He said, I have a character flaw, Bourdain said. I have a character flaw that is beyond the reach of any therapeutic remedies. So the only solution is death. That to me is one of the most tragic statements I've ever heard in my life. I don't know what you're going through today. I don't know completely what you're feeling today and I don't know your plan for a full release but I know here is the start it is the belief that Jesus Christ is who the scriptures say he is and that is a wonderful counselor you see we will try everything before we will try him. And please, 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 I know the emails flood in every time. I am not saying stop doing anything that you're doing. If you're, you're seeing somebody, a secular person, I'm not telling you to stop seeing them. If you're, I'm not saying stop, take your medicine. I'm not, did you hear, could somebody nod that you hear me say that? But what I am saying is to start believing what the scripture says. Jesus, you are a wonderful counselor. You are a miraculous counselor. Listen, the whole, and some of you are like, see, that's what weirds me out when you start talking about the miraculous. Well, let me weird you out further. Every single thing about the Christmas story is miraculous. Do you see that? I mean, you sing about a virgin birth. Do you know what that is? Yeah. I think so too. So we're willing to believe that. But then we're not willing to believe that I have something in my life, a hurt, a pain, a fear, an addiction, on and on and on, that the wonderful counselor can't do something with. He can. It starts 
with you believing that he is who he said he is. Because the Bible says without faith it is impossible to please God. I could take two hours to tell you other things that God may do. Here's one other thing. Part of what the wonderful counselor will always do is he will always use truth to deliver you. Did you see it in the story? Remember I told you to hold your uh, bookmark there? The, the, the wise men got so far following a star and then they didn't see it. So what did they have to go, go to? This is why we run late. You guys don't answer the questions. Somebody had to go to the Word. Somebody had to go to the Word. Freedom and truth are inseparable. Jesus in John eight thirty two. then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. It's hard for truth and discouragement to occupy the same house. Matthew chapter 2, verse 12, and being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed on their own by another way. Don't go back to Herod. Don't go back to Herod. What is the other way that God's calling you to depart and do differently today? Would you do it? It could liberate you. Maybe it's moving from isolation to community. Maybe it's rejecting the world's math and and really fully believing for the first time in your life that hope is not in things, hope is in him. Maybe it's truly believing that worship and discouragement can't occupy the same house. So my house is gonna be a, a house of worship. You make your house a house of worship and you will drive the enemy out of it. I promise you that. They can't occupy the same house. Service and discouragement can't occupy the same house. This is the year to serve the God who created you, died for you, to get in the game, not be a sideline spectator, but be a servant of this great king and watch what he will do. Watch what he will do. For some of you, it means this, believing that our God is a wonderful counselor. He can completely save you today and he can transform everything about you. Trust Him. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the hope of Christmas. And thank You that for some people here today, the journey out of the desert of discouragement begins now because some of Your children are going home another way through the power of Your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed this message, we'd like to invite you to one of our Sunday morning services. We meet at 820, 940, and 11 a.m. If you would like more information or would like to watch or listen to more of our services, please visit us online at newvisionlife.com. This broadcast is brought to you by New Vision Baptist Church, where our mission is guiding people to lives of gospel transformation.